0: Hi, I'm Tara. Hi, I'm not Michelle, I'm Aishwarya. Yeah, <laughs> welcome back to Books and Beyond with Bound where as you know, we speak to India's finest titles and find out what makes them tick. So, I won't keep you guys guessing who is this new person that I have got today. Well, <laughs> she is a brand new co-host for just for today's episode. Uh, she is the podcast head at Bound and She has spent more time listening to this podcast than me, Michelle, or I'm sure any of you have. She spent hours and hours listening to our voices, but not in a creepy way. She actually produces this podcast and she's creating a lot more exciting podcasts at Bound. So hi, Ashwarya, What's up? What are you working on right now?
1: Hi, Tara. Yes, I am. For all the listeners, I'm Books and Beyond's biggest fan right here. (laughs) (laughs) Sitting right here co-hosting this. And what I'm up to right now, so recently we launched the podcast on Goa, hosted by Clyde D'Souza. So I'm very excited about that. And I think you and Michelle interviewed him for a previous season of this podcast, right?
0: You know it better than I did. Yeah, we (laughs) did. And it's been such a wonderful journey making this podcast with you. And we've actually reached number one on travel in Apple podcast charts. And... For those of you who don't know, I've actually been living between Goa and Bombay for the last year and a half during the pandemic. Uh, So this podcast was really fun because I felt like I was living in Goa full time and maybe we'll do a team uh, celebration in Goa, who knows. But before that, let's sort of find out about who we're interviewing today and why you are here to interview this amazing person with me. So before I go to you, uh, let me introduce... The author, she's Shrayana Bhattacharya. It's one of the best books I've read in the last few years, I think. It's called Desperately Seeking Sharap. And this is a non-fiction piece of work that, that is the story of every woman in India. It covers the personal lives, how these women are searching for meaning, how they deal with loneliness, their lives inside the home. And, you know, she covers women across spectrums from herself, to flight attendants, CAs, homemakers, And then what she does is she puts all of this sort of very, uh, you know, these women's day-to-day lives, their daily intimacies, and she puts it into an economic framework that then sort of helps us make sense of what's happening with women in India today in a broader sense. And it just was a mind-blowing book. Eshwarya, so why are you here today? And what did you like about this book?
1: Yeah, no, I think this book covered like it ticked all of my boxes, which is why I was like, I have to be here to interview her. And obviously the first reason was Shah Rukh Khan, you know, <laughs> I don't think that needs an explanation. I'm a huge fan. My mom was a huge fan. And the other thing was, you know, you can clearly see the amount of research that has gone into creating this book, especially research on women, which is something that obviously you and I Tara feel very, very strongly about and jam over. And then so Michelle was like, you know what, go ahead and do this interview together, so here Uh, I am. Yeah. And Tara, I heard that your
0: family also
1: really liked this book, right?
0: My family went crazy about this book. (laughs) So my father has read this book and he has given it to 10 to 15 people he knows. My sister has spent the last month sitting with this book day in and day out, a pencil in hand, underlining things. So our dinner table conversations are taking apart Shrayana's book. So I'm sure they are going to be the first people listening to this episode because they are very excited.
1: Yeah, I can't wait to make my sister also read this book and have exactly these conversations on our dinner table. But for now, let's just talk to Shrayana and get all the answers to all the questions we have for her.
0: Yeah, let's dive in. Hi Shrayana, welcome to Books and Beyond with Bound.
2: Thanks so much, Tara, for inviting me. It's such a pleasure. I follow your work um, and I follow your platform. So extra thrilled to be here.
0: Thank you so much. And both Aishwarya and I were so excited to have you here today because we love the book. Um, I actually gave it to my dad as well. And he has now, he's bought six copies of this book.
2: I'm really grateful. I'm so glad that he engaged with it with an open mind. Thank you. That's really lovely to hear.
0: Yeah. So, you know, I, uh, as I mentioned, we really loved your book. And in the opening chapters of the book, you talk about how for women, earning love is more laborious than earning money. And I don't think I've ever heard anyone say it in those terms. Um, you speak about earning love. You speak about a woman's place, um, a woman's identity in economic terms. And that's, for me, the real hit of the book that you use economics to describe everyday social interactions. So can you explain this sentence? Why is earning love for women more laborious than earning money?
2: you know often when we think of economics we confuse it with statistics we seem to think that economics is just about data and numbers but actually if you look at you know the theories that economists have produced the frameworks it's much more it's much deeper it's actually a set of philosophies right about looking at the world and some of it is quite limited and i find some of it is very helpful And I really wanted, in fact, through the book for people, particularly young people and in particular women, I was thinking very much, in fact, of my grandmother, who's very scared of numbers, was very scared of economics, thought of it as something only like men who were very nerdy and could do mathematics could understand. I really wanted women who were like her to actually enter into the book and realize that actually economics is not that scary. And it has these really powerful terms and concepts that can help us understand our own lives better. You know, a lot of people are interested in labor like, what are you spending your energy on? Uh, Often we tend to inherit this sort of mode of thinking where only things that are remunerated in cash increasingly are considered sort of, you know, labor that is paid and is worthy. But I wanted to actually, I wanted the reader to realize that actually even suffering through your everyday loneliness, indignities, care labor, that's all labor, right? Loneliness is labor. Love is labor. Dealing with our emotions is labor and it's extremely exhausting, and when I was thinking about the economy and the way I phrase it in the book, is you know, the economy on the surface is a set of men exchanging money, especially in India, where barely women are found in the paid workforce. Whereas actually, these men would not be able to exchange money out there if it weren't for the invisible care labor and domestic work, right, and household work that women are doing. And often, you know, feminists tell us that love is the language that essentially justifies women taking on that labor. And when I say in the book that love is hard work, it's hard labor for women, and it's difficult to earn love, what I mean is I think, firstly, that women need love to survive. It's almost like capital. Uh, For example, in the stories in the book, you see this. And a lot of work by feminist economists teaches us this as well, which is, often women require social relationships within the family, be it their husbands, be it their fathers, even are uh, their in-laws, typically people who have access to, you know, more access to the market, more access to wealth, uh, more access to public space, right, uh, which tend to be men in our country in contexts such as ours. You need their goodwill and their benevolence uh, for your own welfare, right? Um, and you always want their sort of, you know, good, you want them to to see you in a in a positive light and that's very important for women's welfare in a world where you can't really live on your own right like it's not safe in our society still for women to be out there living alone many women try and brave that but for most it's a risk that's just too laborious to take on And so if you want a happy equilibrium and you want welfare within your own home, you need to broker love and you need to earn love from usually male members of the family. But to do this, um, you know, to use a Hindi expression, there's a lot that women need to do. Um, In the book, I give you a flavor of those labors, like the labors of love that women are constantly performing. I think the one that we all know and we talk about a lot is domestic labor, right? So women need to cook, clean, take care of kids, motherhood, all of that, right? Like that's that's sort of well-known. But there's another level to this, which is you're constantly having to keep track of other people's feelings, you're constantly having to sort of check on other people. Economists call this the cost of keeping track, right? you're constantly keeping track so even in elite homes you would have seen in the book there are women who may have nannies and you know house help but they're constantly keeping track of the homework of the groceries or what is being made what is being cooked you know the in-laws all of that right so that's the second layer. there's a labor there of you know a woman who needs to take care of her home she will then earn love and taking care of her home is not just domestic drudgery but it's also constantly keeping track of people's needs and experiences and feelings right like you're almost the constant counsellor in the home. And that's really exhausting. And the third labour of love, which I think is even more insidious, is that women always have to watch themselves. So we live in a context in which uh, there is a certain safe kind of femininity, like a kind of womanhood that is fairly conservative, traditional, adheres to very traditional notions of beauty and duty and being ritualistic and... You know, getting married at the right time to the right person, ideally within the same caste community, ideally, you know, privileging motherhood over other passions or other interests that you may have, right? Um, conforming there's a conforming safe femininity and women are always told that you need to look like you're conforming and as you see in the book there are many women who on the surface seem like they're conforming but actually in their private inner lives you realize that they're constantly deviating and playing around and resisting norms but all the women I met they all felt that they needed to put up this front and anytime you're disguising right or you're trying to show that you are conforming to a code that's really laborious and I think to earn love women need to be a certain kind of Indian dutiful woman and that will make you feel more loved and that's really exhausting now men don't need to do all of this Uh, I write in the book that you know for men often we still live in a culture where there is a lot of love for men Uh, You know, it's it's I I joke that love is almost like an entitlement, right, for men uh, in the book, certainly some of the men that one encounters in the book. But for women, they're constantly hustling and working for it and they're hustling and working for it through domestic labor, through this cost of, you know, keeping track of other people's feelings, needs, expectations. And the third, which is the worst, is. This constant surveillance of your own self and your own body and your own desires and your own spirit, right? Constantly concealing, constantly navigating. Um, This is all very exhausting. And honestly, doing all of this, it doesn't surprise me that we have one of the lowest paid employment rates in the world because this labor is so exhausting, how in the world will you find the energy and enthusiasm to pursue, you know, your ambitions and, you know, pursuits outside of this? And so that's what I meant when I said women have to earn love and earning love is hard work.
1: But, you know, your book also covers so many different themes and topics like you, you talk about love, you talk about intimacy, you talk about labor, you, obviously you talk about Shah Rukh Khan. Uh, and you also say how you've been collecting this data throughout your life, you know, uh, in order to write this book. But what I want to know is, when did you decide to actually sort of pursue this and turn this into you know, a long research project or to turn it into this book? And what was that first step that you had to take?
2: Uh, that's a great, great question. Um <laughs> uh, it's a very sadly long answer, but not as long as it took me to write the book. Um, the project started in 2006. Um, I had just finished my master's, and I was sent out to do a survey. I was working for a feminist think tank called the Institute of Social Studies Trust. Uh, And we were doing a project with the Seva, which is one of the largest labor unions for women in the world, right? And we were sent out to do a survey of women who were making incense sticks and garment work at home, earning barely a quarter of minimum wage. And I was supposed to do a very typical traditional survey questionnaire with them, you know, like it was a set of questions about tell me your wages, tell me how many hours you work, stuff like that. And I was very excited. But when I went to, you know, what we call the field, right, when I went out to meet these women, I realized that actually most of these women were unionizing themselves, right? And so they to them, this was actually a very boring thing to do to answer my questions because they knew the answers and they knew that, you know, one of them actually said to me, they said, do you think that us answering these questions is really going to help? And so, you know, it, it, it was a very awkward set of initial conversations. And so to ease things up, so I started asking people about their favorite actor. And everywhere I went then, you know, right from Ahmedabad to other field sites, when the same kind of thing would happen... I would meet fans of uh, Shah Rukh Khan. And I am, as you know, and I think now, I think anyone who's heard of the book knows, uh, I'm completely like, I'm a, a nutty fan of his. And I just suddenly, you know, we, all these women and I wanted to talk about Shah Rukh. And these women, the, the, the kind of energy and tone of the conversation just completely opened up. It was like this very important spiritual rupture, I felt like in our conversations, you know. <laughs> suddenly something happened. The they wanted to talk to me not just about him but they wanted to talk to me about how difficult it was for them to earn money to just watch him Um, and I started to realize that something that I take for granted you know I was in my early twenties back then you know just being able to watch an image of an actor I absolutely love. Is so difficult for so many women across the country. I started to realize that as I went around, you know, during these icebreakers talking to these women about Shahra Khan. And it was then, you know, very early on in 2006 that I was very, I was just convinced that I wanted to document this. I didn't have an idea of a book, honestly, at that time. I had sort of thought maybe an academic paper. I And I kept following up and I met a set of women and I decided I would follow up on their lives. And at that time, in fact, between 2006 to 2007, I had thought I would only do this paper about the women I write about in rural Rampur in Uttar Pradesh. um, And uh, the young woman who calls herself Manju in my book. And I thought, well, I would write a paper. And I, you know, I kept having conversations with different women, not really sure what I was going to do. And then sometime, I think around 2010 or 11, I decided, well, maybe this could be a very formal academic, a very a- a feminist text. And I, in fact, was at that time in early conversations with a fairly niche feminist publishing house, uh, you know, very much thinking about writing just about Rampur and what I had seen there. But again, in a very academic tone. Right. And right. I started to, you know, start put to, put that together And then, I don't know, I just felt dissatisfied with it, to be honest. And I realized sometime in 2013, 14, um, (laughs) I had my own, you know, I was dealing with my own heartache, which I write about in the book. And at that time, I started reading, you know, different kinds of books, which are often sort of memoir meets nonfiction. And in particular, I was reading the works of Vivian Gornick and just her literary criticism. And somehow that just had this huge impact on me. At that time, I also rediscovered Kamala Das, um, her writing, her poetry. And I decided that actually I was no longer interested in writing an academic book. I wanted it to be much more personal. I wanted to sort of liberate myself from the way academics typically write in social science. uh, Because I, I realized that that framework just wasn't doing justice to what I was picking up so honestly the book that you see right now the idea of that and the labor towards doing that while the research started in 2006 I think the idea of this kind of book crystallized between 2014 to 2016 and what really pushed it uh, is that I then released an excerpt from a more personal way of writing which was an excerpt called The Aristocrats, which the Indian Quarterly published um, and that sort of you know went viral and lots of people read it and it was appreciated so that's always nice right because I don't come from a writing background per se I'm not trained in it Uh, it was a hobby of mine just something I enjoyed doing and then to hear that feedback is always helpful and then that just motivated me to just continue with this completely different kind of form of writing the book um and that is then what you see which was drafted finally in 2019 um and in the middle, of course, I decided to open up the book beyond Rampur. I, I included other women I met. I even interviewed women specifically of my own class group, just changed the structure of it. And between 2019 till around 2020, I worked very hard rewriting and editing based on guidance from, uh, you know, she's my agent, but I call her my PhD guide in the book, Shruti Devi. Um, and I had the best editor, Shogad Das Gupta, uh, who was brought in by Collins, And you know we sort of reshaped the text. And then you see what you see, which is in 2021.
0: Yeah, you know, it, but it just shows what it takes. And, and it shows in the result as well. Uh, because honestly, you know, when Aishwarya and I were discussing the book, we're both um, we're both really interested in writing nonfiction and in research as well. But we don't know sort of where to start or how to go about it. And so we were really yeah. curious about this process. Um And exactly what it takes, a lot of it is luck, a lot of it is messy, a lot of it is reworking, hard work, um, all of those things.
1: Yeah, and if I can just add something, Tara, is that, Shrena, what you said about the tone, like it's absolutely there, like you can feel sort of the personal element that comes across where it doesn't, honestly, it didn't read like, an academic paper at all and yeah. that journey that you just sort of charted has just like sounds so very interesting
2: i feel uh people who just decided to live their lives uh, they usually had other jobs and then they decided to live life and then they somehow wrote what you know they sort of leaned into something that gave them pleasure as well right to follow to study to write about um i do have a regular day job and i think there are It obviously poses challenges in writing, but I also think there's a privilege there because in a way, you're free to take risks, right? You can do what you want to. I think if your livelihood completely depends on writing, I think it is a very different kind of, it is a different space you occupy. I do think we have to acknowledge that um and I think given that given that I had the luxury of you know just this was a passion project and even if I completely failed I was very happy to just fall flat on my face but the one thing I, I mean those two principles that I just outlined I think that was very important for me because you know this book is born out of delight to be honest uh the only reason these women wanted to talk to me was because we just love talking about Sharok. um and I think eventually it we were never actually talking about him, right? It, it, it was always a conversation about something else, about money, men, markets, media, misogyny, all that stuff. But I, I just felt that there was a pleasure in our conversation that I really wanted the reader to also just participate in, and you know, often the way I'm trained, I'm trained in social science, I'm particularly trained in economics. There is a way economists are taught to write about big sort of big economic shifts because the book is actually about the big economic shifts that have happened in India, and what the sort of emotional texture that underpins these economic shifts has felt like, particularly liberalisation. Um, but I just wanted to completely abandon, I think, the the very formal setup of the rules of how that's supposed to be written. Um, maybe also because in my day job I li- write like that, right? I write the language of a technocrat in my regular job, and so for me as well, I think just for my own pleasure, I enjoyed doing this. And I think if you if there's pleasure in this, right, and then there's delight in that journey, uh, my hope is that you know irrespective of readership or not, I think it shows up on the page, um, as opposed to something that is very contrived, right? Because you can see that as well.
0: Yeah, you know, uh, you have actually answered another question of mine, you know, when you said that a lot of nonfiction happens when you are sort of living life, and it has to be drawn uh, with passion, because you can, it, it cannot succeed, right? Um, and that is actually one of the questions that I had that, you know, do uh, you go in sort of with a clear uh, hypothesis or you explore first and you kind of answer that. So very, very interesting. Another thing that I loved a lot in the book um, was my favorite character, actually. So she was the accountant. She's my favorite yeah. character. I'd love to know okay. yours too. And I felt that all of the elements that you were discussing about, you know, uh, women at work, love, marriage, all of those things really struck me, with this story and especially the part where you know we see her working so hard we see her achieving things and then um, she is made to participate in the celebration of her male cousins getting jobs but she is made to uh, nobody celebrates her achievements and she's actually made to quiet it down a bit Um, and then you use her to speak about things like emotional rents and all of those things so my question uh, is Do you sort of, um, do you get the story, uh, you know, because obviously you said that you want to portray the story of these women. So is it that you come uh, at this narrative with sort of a hypothesis, sort of the analysis of emotional rent or any of those other economic terms? Or do you first get the story and then see what happens out of that and then apply an analysis?
2: Yeah, no, I, I you know, that first principle I outlined, right? I just wanted to tell their stories first and to record it in the best way possible, which also involved their comfort. Uh, some of the women I actually met, uh, not the accountant, but there are some I met through research projects that I was working on. So Tara, that has, you know, in social science research, there are like ethical codes of conduct, right? So I, had to, you have to go get clearances. And it's quite a, I think part of the length in this process is also that one has to sort of go through that. Um, but I'm very grateful that one went through that because then you also may- make sure that there are the highest ethical norms, right, about writing another person's life. Uh, but with the accountant, for example, because she's actually someone I just met on my own, but even with her, I just wanted to tell the story the way she also felt comfortable because there were things I had written that, you know, there were things that she wanted sort of not mentioned, changed, and I did do that. Um, and I want to be very transparent about it. Um, but I wanted to first get her story down and then once I had everyone's stories down, um, and if you're, a, I feel if you're taught economics well, you'll be able to, s- you will start to see frameworks that will emerge, um, and they did for me. I didn't go in with a hypothesis uh, at all. Uh, I s- just went in, you know, wanting to just tell the story of a person's journey, um, a journey I felt I was very privileged to learn about and to participate in. And then once I had everyone's stories, I started writing it up with these frameworks. And uh, remember, the one thing I do want to tell everyone is it's funny because actually when uh, these stories were being shared with me, they were always being shared via Shah Rukh, right? So as you can see, like actually everyone first starts talking about some film of his and then they'll say something about the film or where they were in their lives when they watched that film. And then it goes into their life. Um, so in fact, first when I was writing it, that first writing was very Shah Ruk heavy. And then I actually had to sort of edit some of that out because you know the book is not about him. I mean, it's about him, but he's only a lens and a tool to get to the lives of these women. Um, So that took some, you know, changing and reshaping. uh, But I just wanted to first get the story, no hypothesis. And it was only after I got the stories and then I studied them and started reading them um, that I then saw that framework started to emerge in different places.
1: So the stories that you've used, you know, are really, really incredible. And I actually had a question about these stories, you know, uh, because... Uh, obviously you have included certain stories but were there more stories that you had to leave out or how did you sort of decide which women or which stories to focus on for what aspect like was it based on who is the biggest fan or uh, who is your favorite character Uh,
2: originally i was following a few more people um, but then they felt uncomfortable so they said no Um, And then I had to sort of, you know, leave that and and you have to respect people's wishes. Um, There there was no plan, to be honest. You know, it's funny that that's the thing. Um, Because my research job, my day job, through which I think I met at least a significant share of these women... Uh, was on women's employment, it's hardly surprising that actually the women I end up talking to are somewhat representative of women in the sort of socioeconomic spectrum and the labor market. Because that's what I was studying through research projects, right? It's just that I entered it for the book, I entered into that very differently. Uh, so for example the fact that I was meeting home-based workers was because I was working on a research project on home-based workers the fact that I was meeting migrant domestic workers was because I was working on a research project on migrant domestic workers I had never I was not working on those projects because of this book I was working on those projects for my own livelihood like I was that was my job right and I I was learning and I was growing I was a young kid as an RA and uh, yeah so there was no Plan uh, and in fact, the original draft that I had submitted to Shruti uh, in 2019, the stories were actually based on the chronology of when I met the women. So it started, in fact, the shape of it was very different. But then, you know, she'd made edits and she, and then when she sent it back to me and I was looking at it, you know, the final time and it was quite frustrating because, you know, to change structure at the last minute is always quite fr- frustrating. Uh, but I realized actually that I wanted to club it based on the wealth spectrum. So I changed the part. So, you know, the way you see it now, right? Part one, part two, it's completely overlaid on class. Uh, originally, yeah. that's not the way it was actually going. Originally, it was based on how I would meet them but i decided to change it because i just felt for the sake of coherence and also clarity um i just wanted it to sort of speak to india's income distribution and and i also wanted it to do that given that i think emerging out of the pandemic questions of inequality are really critical and i wanted to make sure that you know the the stories Gave some vision correction to all of us about our place and our privileges in the world, and just how other people are interacting with spaces of fun based on the sort of socio-economic spectrum. So I did change it, uh, but no, there was no there was no design per se. I just I just interviewed the people who were willing, and I was able to follow up with like their numbers worked. They had mobile phones of their own, for instance. Um, or the ones who just wanted to participate and the ones who didn't, I had to sort of leave that aside. Oh,
1: okay. Interesting.
2: And your favorite character? Oh, yeah, my favorite. I, oof, I don't have one. Um, I, uh, I think, actually, uh, I'm going to give you a very uh, the, the, the odd answer. But my favorite character in the book is the Shah Rukh that all these women have created. Uh, because he's not real. Uh, he's uh, he's this sort of uh, metaphor for a kind of emotional support and encouragement and confidence and opportunity that I think all these women want and they so desperately are seeking and they can't find in their life in their real life And I love that, you know, it's, we always say, and there's a line in the book, I'm quoting this French anthropologist, you know, who sort of says that utopia is where all our radical thoughts begin, right? And in creating this very utopic idea of a man who's just so perfect. Um, I think it actually allows, and you can see this in the book, particularly women from very harsh economic circumstances, uh, it allows them to then voice expectations and really deviate from what a woman's place is supposed to be. And I think I, I really love that utopic Shah Rukh that they've created. Um, I can tell you who was the most difficult, though, to follow, and that was Manju. Uh, because this is the young woman in rural Rampur, because she disappeared for some time, which I write about in the book. And I wasn't sure how to, you know, keep track of her or how to reach her because, you know, her phone numbers would keep changing and it just, it was very difficult. Um, each time I met her, I, I used to keep asking her, like, oh, do you want to continue? And she said, yeah, 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 I really want, you know, I would like to talk to you about Shah Rukh and I want to tell you what's going on. But her numbers would keep changing and it was just really difficult to keep track of her life. Um, so that was so maybe she is my favorite only because I know that I had to sort of really, it took all my inner reserves and even hers, I think. And also because I think she made me see Shah Rukh very differently. Um, I, I mentioned in the book, the way she sees the ending of DDLJ. Um, You know, she doesn't where I think a lot of us would see a very regressive ending, right, that the hero wants to sort of get permission from the father and then he will marry and, you know, be together with with his beloved. Manju saw that as actually a very wonderful, considerate thing that uh, the actor was doing, that character was doing. Um, and I'm not going to give it away for those who are listening to us. You have to read the book to know uh, why she sees it differently. So I'm very. I think maybe she is my favorite one because it was one of the toughest stories to tell, um, and also uh, somewhere because I think she really pushed the way I see. Uh, Shah Rukh on screen I see him very differently because of her so you know she just changed my perspective so perhaps her
0: yeah I just I can't imagine all the kinds of stories that you must have in your notebooks and in your head and all the kind of different women uh, that 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 you must have uh, met in your field studies you know whether they uh, followed you to completion or they dropped out like what a great repository Um, And I hope that more of these stories come out as well. Um, I also really like the story of your own personal life, which you put into the book. Um, And you speak about your relationship with this typical Delhi boy, uh, your own uh, sort of, uh, you know, the fallout of that relationship. uh, Very sort of personal facts about yourself. uh, Sort of a very unabashed discussion. So how did this happen? Was this a deliberate choice? Um, You know, was there a hesitation on your part to include all of these personal details? Uh, And especially as you wear so many different roles uh, as a researcher, as an economist, as a writer, uh, as a fan. I was very, very curious about this first part and and also very interesting segue into the rest of the characters as well. You
2: know, um, I have to be honest, uh... I just didn't know any other way to write it, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, Maybe because I think I told you, I think in 2013, when I decided to make the text much more personal in the way it would be written, and no longer, you know, full of a kind of academies, right, the way academics would write. And at that time, I was also, I I was dealing with a set of circumstances in my own personal life. And I was reading all these wonderful women who were writing these really rigorous stories about the world, but they would always enter into those stories from their own experiences. And, you know, it's typically, as we know, right, uh, it's always sort of dumbed down as chick or sort of dismissed as, you know, women's confessional writing is always dismissed. But the reason women's confessional writing is so important is because the personal is women's political domain. Um, has always been and uh, I I think it's very important to acknowledge that and I think you know there's enough I'm sure there are several speakers and I think I've seen on your platform others say exactly what I'm saying to you right now and so I wanted to be very um, honest about my place in these women's lives and my place in, in this story and in this journey because to not do that would be dishonest and also, many of the times that when I was talking to the women that I follow, uh, we would exchange stories. So they knew a lot about what was going on in my own personal life. Um, because, you know, you, there has to be reciprocity in our research, right? It can't just be me going and asking questions. And, then people, and, and people aren't mute spectators. People will ask you as well. And I realized, and since I said to you that initial principle, right, that I wanted to diligently just report what was happening... And I think the other thing that I was very keen on not doing, and I've seen this a lot in certainly social science writing, is that there's a lot of othering, right? Like you are this sort of privileged person who has a lot of academic credential and capital, and you come in and you study people who typically always have lesser capital than you. And there's a kind of social distance between the person who is observed and the person doing the observing. Look, I can't, like that distance will always remain. I mean, I am like, you know, a Brahmin woman in an extremely hierarchical country that I can't lie and pretend that those privileges will vanish. It won't. But I at least thought that if I were a bit more present and honest in the text, perhaps I would do a bit more service, right? To, to, at least reduce that distance, even if it's by like a micro little half an inch, right? Like not significant. But to me, that felt important just politically to do. Um, And so it wasn't really by design, honestly. I just didn't know any other way of writing it, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, But I will say that, in fact, it was the parts where I was writing about myself that were the most difficult to get permissions for, as you can imagine, Because the people I write about, actually, the gentleman I write about, I had to send it to him. I didn't want it to come to him as some kind of surprise. And that's not right to do to anyone. And since I was, you know, I was checking with everybody who's quoted in the book, I had to check with him. And that was very complicated. Um, But I'm actually very grateful that he, you know, let me write it. He didn't sort of, there was no um I had not expected that but I you know I, and, and now in fact we're in a very different kind of equilibrium I mean he and I um and so you know I I, I guess the book also played some role in his own journey as a person and uh, he certainly did not withhold from me the ability to write about it uh, because it was as much my experience as his right um and so yeah but that that was very hard to do and if I write anything even in the future it will always be like that because I just think that is the way I write I don't think you know I'm not trained in it or anything it's just it is what comes naturally to me I'm very grateful that I had two very rigorous readers in Shruti and Saugat because I think they helped me make sure that the book was about other women and not myself Uh, but I just couldn't write it without situating it Myself. And the last thing I will say in this is that, you know, the writing that I've always loved, and particularly in that period of 2013 14, when I was really dealing, I think, with just, you know, the typical, I think, the peak heartbreak, right, that everyone has in their lives at least once, uh, if not more, if you're lucky. Um, was that I was reading women writers who really comforted me so when I read you know even in late 2015-16 when I read Emily Witt um, she was writing about sexual practices on the west coast but she entered into it through her own heartbreak and her own experiences and I learned a lot but I also felt very comforted I felt like there was this sisterhood between lots of women who were trying to like figure out their own journeys in life right and their own place in this extremely unfair unequal structure in a very confusing world and I really wanted to offer that to others that was very important to me
1: yeah and I think there was a great balance between you know your sort of personal stories or personal details and the stories of other women and also sort of the uh, facts or the statistics or the hard data that you were presenting in the book which I found very interesting. And I just loved the personal details so much because especially the first chapter, I found it very relatable. Like I felt like as a reader, I was able to relate to you as the author or the researcher at a very personal level because of the kind of details you mentioned. Uh, like I grew up watching a lot of Shah Rukh Khan movies. You know, my mom was a huge fan of Shah Rukh Khan. I came absolutely for the title of this book. <laughs> 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 because one Shah Rukh, and then obviously young Indian women you know intimacy uh, independence so I was very much interested in sort of exploring w- exactly what the book sort of told me that it would explore which was you know if I like Shah Rukh Khan what does that tell me about intimacy and sort of relationships in India and I think Tara you had a very different
0: yeah, so actually mine was very different. So when I first saw the title, because I'm not a fan, I didn't actually want to want to pick up this book. So so then I read, I read Abhijit Banerjee's review and I read Signa Sing, Poonam's review and I figured out okay it's a book about economics. So I came into the book through that lens, and then I sort of started appreciating the Shadow lens more. So actually, we wanted to ask you this because we come from come to it from very different Uh, perspectives and I'm sure your readers also have picked it up for different reasons when we were discussing this we were like oh like you came to the book for this reason and I came to the book for this reason and then we wondered from your perspective right like what was your vision for the book and the way that it's marketed like was it a what what were your concerns how would people pick it up what what did you think about it
2: okay so I've learned a lot Uh, you know we do live in a there's a non-fiction kind of market in India which I'm now learning a lot about where you have to keep the title very like gender caste You know, it needs to be like very clear, right? I mean, at the I, I'm beginning to realize that uh, uh, this title was my passion title. I had decided to call it "Desperately Seeking Shah Rukh in 2007, um, and the reason I had done that was because all the women I was meeting there was this desperation to like love themselves, to watch him. Uh, that desperation wasn't about for a celebrity; it was about freedom and to me you know when we were talking about Shah Rukh, it was a metaphor for that freedom and it, there was a there was a desperation there and i really wanted i think the title to capture that and i thought it was really beautiful uh, phrased on desperately seeking susan um, but to me, to be perfectly honest, um, I, you know, I don't have a disciplinary home. I'm trained in economics, but I don't have a PhD in economics. I've read anthropology. I read sociology, uh, many of the reviewers and also people I think who read the book, you have a sense of like, I'm drawing from literature across the social sciences in different domains. To me, it is, I, I think if I really had to narrow it down to a field, uh, I think it's a work of what we call economic sociology. And uh, what that means is you sort of look at the sociological underpinnings of economic behavior, right, like like consumption, employment, growth, all of these, you know, we, we tend to think of these as sort of numbers or just sort of broad macro phenomena. But actually, you know, economic sociologists know that these broad numbers hold a lot of sentiment. They hold feeling. There's a lot of negotiation, layers, conversation. There's 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 you know jobs, the, the jobs agenda is not just a set of employment statistics. It's it's about a way people feel about themselves, their self-worth, their confidence, their loneliness. And I really wanted to convey the sort of emotional underpinnings of the economy. To be honest, that is what my vision for the book was. And I found in Mr. Shah Rukh Khan the best research vehicle to do that because, you know, his imagery just invokes so much... Um, I think what anthropologists would call affect, right? That that suddenly when we talk about him, these women are actually no longer talking about just him. They're talking about men, they're talking about sex, they're talking about love because, you know, he represents all these different themes. Um, they are also talking about money to watch him. So he just brought together all these different sociological phenomena and emotions but in a way it's all to explain what's happening in the economy because i wanted to i wanted the reader to understand what is the past 20 30 years for a very diverse swath of women, felt like as the Indian economy has really transformed, right? And in each of the chapters, you see that. For example, Gold, who's an in-flight attendant, those jobs didn't exist prior to the 2000s, right? And she's the first generation of women to make you know use of those opportunities. And then the moment the economy starts to shift, there are social shifts as well. I mean, it's sort of mutually. It's like this strange jugalbandi, you know, to use that phrase, which is the economy interacts with society, but then the then social norms also frame how economic behaviors work. And so, to me, it's 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 actually a blend of sociology and economics. Um, so I, I use that phrase, economic sociology. Um, one thing I was worried about was that everybody would think that this was a you know fan fiction or a book where a bunch of women get together and only gush about uh, Shah Rukh Khan. Uh, I love gushing about Shah Rukh Khan, but I also know that no one would really be interested in just listening or reading women who are gushing because if you want to do that, then you can just watch that on YouTube or you can watch a Shah Rukh film or you can watch an interview. You know, why buy a book uh, which is just about fangirling? Um, I was a bit worried about that. that did happen initially. There were you know people who approached it that way. but I'm really pleased honestly I mean the book has been, you know, touch wood. I mean, it's got a lot of love from the media. I mean, you know, lots of papers and outlets have reviewed it. um, And it's really been wonderful and heartwarming to read each time I want to hug, you know, the reviewer and the review usually. And I think slowly and steadily as those conversations like the ones I'm like this one, the one I'm having with you have sort of proliferated. I think through word of mouth, people have understood that this is not about him, but him as a research tool, as a lens, Um, But, you know, I I also, there's a fabulous Pico Iyer quote, which I always quote, which is, you know, all pain in life is when people don't see you the way you want to see yourself. And I may see this book as a work of economic sociology, but there'll be others who'll see it as a film text or there'll be others who see it as a text about love. And that's fine. I think that's great, in fact. I think people should enter into it with their own perspectives and read it for their own interests.
1: You know, and I really liked... uh when you said this because i also felt as a reader that something that was very interesting about the book was that it was emotional like it was an emotional experience for me as a reader to also read the book which i think added a lot to sort of the research or the data in the book you know and what you mentioned about fangirling so this is a question that i had when i was reading the book because you're such a huge fan of Shahrukh Khan and you know because you're also sort of talking so much about your personal experiences as a young woman in India, did you feel like the fangirling or the fandom would uh, influence or create any kind of bias in the research that you were conducting? How were you able to separate, you know, you as the Shahrukh fan from you as the researcher?
2: I didn't. (laughs) I have to be honest, I didn't. Uh, I don't feel any need to I mean that's that's fine I mean I think you know we all I'm not going to you know I, I could have pretended right so the way the best way to pretend is to like write it as some kind of very somber text where I'm you know some distant observer of Mr Khan's icon but that would be such a lie and I would be caught out in that lie very easily. Um, I really believe, by the way, in books, you cannot lie, especially I think works of nonfiction. Like I think the writer's own predilections and instincts do just, they just find, they are spilt on the page. Even if you're trying to do something else, you can read it. Um, so I think the first thing I wanted to do was not lie. So I'm very honest about the fact that I'm so biased when I see him, but I was not biased when it came to also recognizing my bias, if that makes sense. So as a consequence, I interviewed a bunch of people in the film industry and I'm so grateful to them because I don't know anything about film. I'm not a film studies person. I'm not a critic. I don't work in film journalism. There are some of the best film journalists who were interviewed for this book. And I don't know these people from Adam, you know, people like Anupama Chopra and Mayank Shekhar. I mean, they just, they were so kind. And I also interviewed film producers like Siddharth Roy Kapoor. And all these people, they don't know me. I just cold call them and told them about the book. I think they thought it was like a mad experiment. And so they decided to talk to me. And it was through them and through these other voices that I checked my bias. I, by the way, do the same when it comes to gender. Because I'm very angry as a single woman occupying space um, in India, in Delhi. I think uh, we should all be very angry about the state of our gender norms, but I also realized that perhaps there were things that were happening which were positive that I was not seeing in my anger. So even in the end, um, there's a chapter called "You know, the An Equilibrium of Silly Expectations." I interview other scholars and activists. Um, about how they see what's happened to gender. So you would have seen, there's like Urvashi Butalia who's interviewed there, Jean Drez is interviewed there. And again, I was so grateful. So I think the way I actually tackled my bias was to just say on the page very clearly, I am biased. And you actually hear, I'm sure you've read me writing this in the book, which is I actually say I'm so biased that I should probably talk to other people. Um, and I should look at other data. And I think the way to actually deal with bias is perhaps just to be honest about it. We all have very strong priors. I think you just need to be honest about it and then rely on others to bring in some perspective, which is what I did. I I really relied on other voices.
0: Okay, so I really liked what you said about your exploration of feminism. You said that your exploration of feminism and, and this is so true in all the stories from Goldie, who's the flight attendant to the accountant, um you know uh, to your own personal story is about ordinary women making ordinary changes uh, so it's the dichotomy between the heroines that we see in the media versus the ordinary women so i so ashwarya and i we are content creators we um you know we are constantly part of sort of uh we interview successful women we read books about uh 30 under 30, rising women, all of this kind of narrative right But I wanted to ask you what do you think of books or podcasts that valorize women who may already have a certain amount of privilege and have achieved that benchmark of being successful versus what you what you say in your book is that you know ordinary women are making feminist moves every day in their real lives and can content creators like us, me and Eshwarya change this narrative uh, what can we do? I wrote this book because I knew,
2: and I think this actually, we all know this. I I really believe this is not something that I, this is not, not some lightning rod moment that I had, which is that I think we all know that there's been a big shift between our mother's generations and ours, right? And even between us and probably our younger sisters, for example. And I really wanted to convey these shifts because I actually think it's quite radical what's happened. And we don't write about it enough, because I think we all sort of think it's understood, it's given, it's kind of banal. But I think it's really important, not just in fiction. I think in fiction, you see this being written about a lot. But I think even in nonfiction, I think social scientists do owe it to sort of future generations of scholars or readers right, to just document these changes. And I don't think you'll be able to actually do justice to those changes if you only talk to heroes and victims. So if you look at a lot of the writing and content, right, that comes out on women, it's either, as you said, really successful women who are like, valorized I mean if I see one more story about a CEO I just switch it off I can't watch it anymore
0: Um,
2: (laughs) and uh, I just can't and uh, it really infuriates me that on women's day we're sending books about CEOs and sort of you know
0: Yeah.
2: We at the end of the day how can a young woman struggling to find like you know a railway ticket to come to a city to find a job you're telling her to be you know I, I don't know I find all that lean in stuff just really infuriating um so you have that but then we swing to the other extreme also so even and, and and when women are fighting injustices we also valorize a lot of the outward activism which i think is of course very important you know women who won seats in the panchayat women who are fighting hard long battles against the state right be it about land rights or anything else all of that is is remarkable and very important And then we swing to the other side, which is then we have victims. So a lot of the writing also tends to be about victims of very brutal crimes. But I felt like, you know, there's this missing middle, which is, I think, all of us, and certainly the women in my book, who on the surface may not seem like they're doing anything radical, but actually once you get a glimpse into their lives, you realize that there's some big shifts going on. And I actually think the way content creators can engage with that is just to listen to any woman. Um, I actually think if you did a random lottery, I bet you this, I really believe everyone is a philosopher, everyone has a story to tell. Um, and I think given the big shifts that we've seen in our country, economically, particularly, as well as you know what's happening in our politics now, I really believe if you just picked up anybody, like you did a lottery and you just selected a random person, and you brought them on a show, and you asked them to talk about their lives, you would learn about so much churn, right, that they would have. And they would have really profound, meaningful, wonderful stories to tell, provided they're able to, you know, use language to articulate it well. So I yeah. really, I, I actually really believe, I know it sounds strange, but I, I think this is where I believe in randomness. Uh, you know, like you just, anyone can be featured, And you ask them about, you know, certain metrics and you will learn so much about what's going on in our society. I think we do too much of this. um, Oh, you know, today I want to feature a woman from a certain profile and background. So I'll like go specifically look at her. You, You can do it whichever way you like. I actually think if you just selected anyone. Uh, They would have a very powerful story to tell, I think, particularly in countries like ours. Um, So I actually think that might be a way to sort of correct a lot of the targeting bias, right? Because often I think a lot of our content on women is heavily targeted. It's this hero-victim business. I I, I, I think there's a very different set of narratives that are out there. Um, And I think it's just a question of platforming them. And I actually think it's just a question of platforming anyone. It, it It could just be literally anybody. Um, and, I, and one of the things I learned in my book, I mean, through the research, as I said, on the surface, there's nothing particularly revolutionary about any of these women's lives. But I learned actually through following them that each one is able to negotiate such radical things for her own self in her life, like they live very different lives from their mother's. And uh, that's very hard. That's a lot of hard work. And I think we should celebrate those everyday labors. You know, I call it dal sabzi feminism. You know, it's like this very grounded, everyday, granular set of transactions and trade-offs. And I think we should celebrate them. And I think we should celebrate just each other much more because of that.
1: I love the term uh, dal sabzi feminism. I think (laughs) this is going to be
0: and even output feminism like you articulated the because i couldn't quite put a finger on like what my problem was with all these like women entrepreneur things yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: do you know shahrukh khan has read your book would you want him to read the book <laughs> I am
2: waiting and waiting and waiting for him to (laughs) read the book. Um, I also know that if someone wrote a book called Desperately Seeking Shrayana, I don't know whether I'd be comfortable reading it. I would be curious.
1: You would read it at least to know what it was about. Like you would. Yeah,
2: I I hope so. I know. So the book is definitely with his team. Uh, uh, And in fact, before, because, you know, the title has his name uh, right up in the beginning, we had to sort of inform his team and, you know, All of that. Uh, So, uh, fingers crossed. I know it's with them. Um, Obviously, you know he has his own life. He's shooting. There's all kinds of things. But uh, I do. I hope he reads it, um, and we'll see.
1: Yeah, we hope so too. I hope. I mean, Sharuk, if you're listening to this podcast, might be listening (laughs) to this
0: podcast. Wow. (laughs) Yeah,
2: I love that. I love that.
0: Those are aspirations. Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah, no, 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 no. I, uh, I also hope so.
0: Let's see. Inshallah. Yes, Manifest yeah, this.
1: Okay, so I have one final question for you before we go into the book recommendation section, which sure. is, you know, uh, so now that the book is out, who is the audience for this book? You know, who do you think this book is for? And what are you trying to achieve with it?
2: Uh, who is the audience? Anyone who can read English right now? Uh, because you know it is written in English Um, I really would like right now I notice a lot of women are reading it which is wonderful but I would want men to read it actually because I think men really need to understand how women are occupying spaces and emotions and just their lives I think that would be really important so I don't have a particular segment per se Um, I would like obviously you know Young women and men, anyone who can read English to, to read it. Um, what am I trying to achieve with it? I, I think if the book encourages you to think very critically about um, your own, well, number one, your own loneliness, if you're feeling lonely, uh, your own struggles in the job market or the mating market, um, I think then I've done some justice to what I was trying to do. Because what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to explain to you not only about the lives of others. uh, Sure, you read the book and you learn about women who are migrant domestic workers and home-based BD makers and so on, women from very different economic, um, you know, sections of the country. But I really just want all of us perhaps to read it and sit with our own feelings a bit and recognize that we are not perhaps, number one, we're not alone in them. And there's a reason why the economy is making us feel lonely. Um, And there's a reason how why the mating market is functioning a certain way. And I think economics uh, can help you understand that a lot more. Um, And the second thing I'm really trying to achieve with this is I really want people to stop thinking that Bollywood imagery is uh, silly and foolish and banal I think it's really powerful it's so powerful that it allowed me to tell us it is an intimate history I think of, of women in India and post-liberalization India and it's only the sheer power of Shah Rukh Khan and those films that allowed for the story to be told the way it is because I can bet my life that if I went directly and just started asking women about their love lives and their work lives they would just be disinterested and not no one would open up the way they did. I think the reason we all opened up to each other and even I felt comfortable sharing my own experiences because I think we entered into it through our love of Shah Rukh and those images. And those images actually are doing some very interesting psychological work for a lot of women in our country. Um, And I really want people, I think for those who sort of look down on it or think it's silly... Um, I really hope some vision correction happens when you read the book, you realize actually these images are doing something very serious. And they can help you understand society in a very serious and rigorous way as well.
0: Yeah, and it reminds me a lot of um, Archal Malhotra's uh, way of interviewing as well, where she went and she chronicled partition stories, but she went into the interview uh, through a less innocuous subject, which is uh, the perspective of objects. Um, and it's so interesting to see um, social scientists like you pick something that is accessible and then use that to frame a larger conversation but I now want to move on to our book recommendation section uh, which our listeners really love so the first question I want to ask is what are your favorite books of about women at work whether it's fiction or non-fiction
2: my favorite, favorite book, I mean, pretty much of all time is uh, Vivian Gornick wrote a recent memoir. It's called Odd Woman in the City. She's in her 60s when she's writing the book. And it's basically about just the labor of being a woman in New York of her age, um, trying to write and make ends meet and just be a person, right? Um, I think that's it's, it's really, it's a really beautiful book. There was a book that uh, Zuban did, which was a sort of collection of essays by different activists. And I think it was edited by Alina Sen, the late Alina Sen. Um, I I think it was basically about women's workers collectives. Um, I, I, I love that book. It's a sort of slim report, but I really love it because it's a set of stories about, you know, construction workers, fishermen, women, different communities of women. And I hope it's still in print. So I I, I love I love that book. Um, the third book that I love, which is about women at work, is called A Life Less Ordinary. Um, it's written by this woman who's a domestic worker called Baby Haldar. and she writes about her own life, about being a worker. Uh, yeah, so I, I, I love that book. And I noticed that I've actually plugged two Zoban books uh, because they produce a lot of really lovely stuff when it comes to women's labors. Um, and uh, yeah, those would be, I think, two or three books that I absolutely recommend and I love.
1: Okay, thanks for those. Okay, I have another question. Can you give us one book recommendation for the Goldies and Meaners and Vidyas and all the lonely young women in India?
2: Oof, uh, Emily Witt's Future Sex. Uh, I love that book. and the other book, Anything by Nancy Mitford. Uh, and, and there for two completely different reasons. Uh, I think Nancy Mitford was writing, you know, sort of wartime in the UK. And uh, But she has this very sardonic voice about relationships and love. And um, I think it. she has a very critical, cool gaze towards it. So I think uh, in fiction, I I just love her way of writing. And then I love Emily Witt's book, Future Sex, because you realize that actually we're in the middle of this very big shift in the way our social relationships and our love lives and our sex lives are going to be organized. Uh, We are in the middle of this there is a big churn happening um, I think as sort of society evolves and technology evolves as well and that has a lot of implications in our in the way we experience our love lives and our mating lives and do we really want to be stuck in this notion of a pair bond and heteronormativity and you know, all these questions and what could a future of free sex or free sexual practices look like Uh, And can sex be divorced from love, you know, and all of those kinds of really interesting questions about how we can conduct our love lives in the future. I love that book. Um, And actually, a third recommendation I have for anyone who's... um feeling cut up or lonely uh, which is a bit academic but it's actually really good sociological writing on love which might help you understand uh, why you're feeling hurt because it's actually called why love hurts uh, by this wonderful sociologist called Eva Iluz. Um I use a, I use some of her frameworks in my own book and I absolutely love it um, and so I would recommend those three.
0: Awesome, lots of great recommendations Okay, so now we're going to move on to our last section, which is our rapid fire round. So yes, if you can answer in just a few words. So the most hard hitting statistic in your book?
2: That India is in the bottom five when it comes to uh, men doing housework in the world.
0: Wow. Hmm. Wow.
1: Okay. Uh, Next, where do you usually write? Uh,
2: At home. And there's a particular cafe in my neighborhood I write there as well. I'm not going to tell you which one. (laughs) Okay.
0: Okay. What's next for you? Uh,
2: I continue with my job at the World Bank, but I'm trying to fiddle with fiction. And then after that, I have another longitudinal project in mind, which will take me another 10 years. But first I'm fiddling with fiction (laughs) right now. Amazing.
1: Nice. Okay. Interviewing, research or writing? interviewing okay
0: your favorite srk movie
1: Ooh, two
2: kabhi haan, kabhi and zero
0: that's a very choice. old and a
1: very new one yeah <laughs> yeah exactly
2: i love him he's evergreen so i love everything he does but those two yeah. since you asked me for a favorite
1: okay uh, and the final question is one surprising review of the book
2: uh, the Hindu just yesterday called the book genre bending, <laughs> which really sort of, <laughs> I was uh, quite stunned by that. Uh, that, yeah, that, I think it was the most heartwarming. And uh, I like the fact that they pretty much started by saying you'd be forgiven for thinking the book is uh, what they call chiclet, but you know, it's, it's a work of social science.
0: That's really exciting. Congratulations on you. on how well the book is doing, and and thank you so much for your thank insights. You. And we love the book as 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 you know, and we're going to be recommending it as well.
2: Thank you. In fact, you know what? I changed my answer. I think the most surprising review has come from Tara's father.
0: <laughs> wow <laughs> i let him know
2: <laughs> so I not tell him that because uh, yeah. I, I i'm quite uh, i'm really actually very touched and look it was such a pleasure talking to both of you and thank you so much for inviting me this was such fun
0: thank you so much thank
1: you so much what an amazing conversation i cannot get over the term that she used dal sabzi feminism I am definitely going to google it right after this podcast is done and I really hope this term takes off. Like I am yeah. for that.
0: Yeah, I know, I know. And like she really wants me to read this book. So I do hope that our male listeners, uh, you know, if you guys have read this book, I would love to know what made you pick it up and what did you think about it. So please do reach out to me. Uh, we are at Bound India on all social media platforms. Would love to hear from you.
1: Yeah, and don't forget to tune into our other podcast, Sussigar Stories from Goa, and the link for that will be in the show note below.
0: Yes, so if you are sitting in the traffic jam and you want to imagine yourself into Goa and a Sussigar <laughs> way of life, this is a podcast for you. I'm not kidding. Now that the pandemic is sort of waning, I'm doing it too. Uh, but anyway, thank you so much for tuning in, and we will be back next Wednesday with another guest. I love doing this. So much we get to talk to so many amazing. See you guys. See you.